1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by Sean Su. Hey, nice to be back. And on the telephone from Taichung by Donovan Smith. Hey, great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing the latest on the coronavirus vaccine situation here in Taiwan, a Chinese man claiming to have sailed to Taiwan from Fujian province in a rubber dinghy to seek freedom and democracy, life under the water shortage in an area affected by the water rationing system, the strengths and weaknesses of Taiwan's media environment and Ways to combat disinformation A rumpus at a police station And a cockroach attack that's led to claims That people no longer respect law enforcement Authorities here And the Ministry of Culture selecting a state-owned news agency To operate the government's planned English-language video platform portal but we'll begin with it being that time of year once again when the World Health Assembly is getting ready to meet and it looks as if Taiwan once again has no seat at the table. That, of course, means that calls are being made to include the island in the Global Health Body's annual meeting. The loudest call this year has been delegates at the G7 Foreign Minister's meeting in London. And in a statement issued after the meeting, the G7 ministers said they supported Taiwan's participation in the World Health Organization forums and the World Health Assembly. The US... The State Department has also been calling for Taiwan's inclusion in the WHA the European Union and Japan have also both recently issued statements in support of Taiwan's inclusion in the meeting and the Interparliamentary alliance on China has made a similar appeal with the backing of lawmakers from Europe North America and Australia while the World Medical Association a group representing more than 100 national medical associations has sent a letter to the World Health Organization's Director General urging that Taiwan be granted observer status and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here, says the government has received basically more than calls of support from 50 countries... Expressing that Taiwan be able to join the WHA. Now, of course, the WHA will be holding its 74th annual general meeting virtually in Geneva, Switzerland, from May the 24th through June the 1st. So, Sean, this all echoes of every previous year we've done this show, with the calls echoing the same, except the G7 ministers did it this year as well. But I mean, chances of Taiwan going to the table if you were a betting man.
2: Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bet on this one. I'm gonna pass because uh, I, I, you know, China's gonna definitely. China has already actually expressed their opinion that they don't think it's appropriate. They made claims that they feel they can appropriately represent Taiwan and everything and so forth and so on. So they're they're as long as they have the ability to, they will just block it, and nothing's going to change that anytime soon, unless of course Taiwan capitulates politically in a way that really appeases. Beijing, but given um, the political situation in Taiwan, identity, and so forth, I don't see that happening anytime soon.
0: Well, I mean, at some point, if if the the people that, or the governments that support Taiwan ever manage to get this to the floor, then maybe we'll see some change. But at this point, it, it doesn't seem likely. It's every single time the can keeps getting kicked down the road. Uh, whoever's chairing the the WHA will just simply bow to China and then move, move it along. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it comes up, it's been coming up uh, for the last few years as, as a regular thing. Somebody, one country or multiple countries will come up, bring up the issue and say, hey, we need to include uh, Taiwan and the WHA going forward. Obviously, it, Taiwan's not going to be included this time around. But, the, you know, the only way this is going to change is if they can actually get it to the floor. So, you know, will it get to the floor this time? I'm going to say probably not. But it's it's possible at some point that the the issue will be forced onto the floor. And then we're going to see something very interesting. Because China has a lot of influence with a lot of countries using their their Belt and Road Initiative. And that's a lot of uh, that's a big voting block, but then there's a big voting block that's in support of Taiwan actually being able to participate. So the question is: is first of all, will it be able to actually get to the get to the floor? Will there be an actual vote on this uh, going forward? Obviously, this time it won't have you want not Taiwan won't be, won't be participating, but. Will these these uh, friends of Taiwan be able to force that to the floor? And that's that's what that's what we're, I think we need to
2: watch
1: for. And of course, Sean, the longer this goes on, maybe these friends of Taiwan will simply give up calling for Taiwan to be allowed to attend the WHA. Uh,
2: there, there's been a lot of scenarios that have been discussed. However, I. Do think uh, the WHA as an organization will be, you know, the the main focus? So I, I don't imagine uh, they will necessarily give up, especially since China is seen as sort of an adversary. So I do think there's other political uh, reasons why Taiwan is being promoted here beyond just uh, moral issues. That said, uh, you know, the WHA director Tedros is very pro-China in many aspects. So and we could go at length about that one. But uh, I don't think he's going to work in favor of Taiwan. And even if we had a director that was in favor of Taiwan, again, like Donovan said, it has to be on the floor. And China wields considerable power internationally and globally to prevent that from happening.
1: And in coronavirus news this week, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong on Wednesday announced that the Food and Drug Administration has granted authorization for emergency use of the Moderna coronavirus vaccine. The health minister says that he's currently unable to give a precise date for the delivery of the first batch of Moderna's vaccine, but he says it's expected to arrive here in Taiwan later this month. Chen also stressed that he's received no information about delays of the Moderna shipment, and he said that the matter is currently progressing at a normal pace. Now Taiwan has signed contracts to which is 5.05 million doses of the Moderna vaccine. And to date, Taiwan has taken delivery of 117,000 vaccine doses from the AstraZeneca vaccine... Batch, which was purchased directly from that company and 199,200 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine which arrived in Taiwan through the COVAX sharing program. Now, the Epidemic Command Centre this week said that another AstraZeneca shipment is expected to arrive in Taiwan in June. Now, meanwhile, the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week said that people who receive the coronavirus vaccine here in Taiwan are entitled to take two days off work. However, officials are stressing that whether they receive paid leave will be up to the individual Companies now, basically, the Central Epidemic Command Center also this week announced that it's expanding its coronavirus vaccination program to cover all military personnel and Taiwanese residents aged over 65 from next Monday, and that covers an estimated 208,000 military personnel and 3.4 million residents of the island aged 65 or over. Now, according to health officials, some 74,000 people have now received their first dose of the AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine since it was rolled out on March the 22nd. And of course, Sean, you're one of that 74,000.
2: Indeed. Uh, I got it two days ago and uh, my arm actually is still sore. Uh, (laughs) Okay,
1: I was going to say, was it painless? But I mean, applying for it and registering to get it, was that painless?
2: That was actually relatively painless. Um, Just applied, uh, found out that I could, uh, I applied actually about a week and a half ago or a week ago and uh, found that, oh, Wednesday I could get my shot. Went ahead, did it. Uh, waited in the morning. Of course, they did ask. Uh, you know, what's the cause? And of course, of course, you know, the reason could not be. I feel like it. So the, the nurses actually said, "So, what's the cause? You have to say it's travel or you know, business related." And I was like, "Yeah, it's travel. I got to travel in a couple months." And so they said, "Okay, sure. Now you go." So <laughs> did they verify? Need plane tickets or anything like that? Absolutely not. And then I went in, uh, waited with a bunch of other people. Some, I'm not sure if many of them look some. some, Some of them were obviously travelers, but many also did not seem to be travelers at all. And I did see some hospital workers that had their ID tags there waiting to get the shot as well.
1: And how long did it take? Did they, apparently they keep you in the hospital for 50 minutes after?
2: Oh, no, actually 30 minutes. And they observe you and they'll tell you that uh, you just sit there for 30 minutes and then you can leave. I did observe some people leaving a little bit earlier because they said, we're busy. Uh, I'm, I'm busy. I have things to do. And, and the nurse was like, okay, well then watch yourself and make sure that you're okay. If you have a fever, you know, get some ibuprofen and, or ponatin, uh, panadol, uh, or, and if you feel muscle pains, that's normal. And, uh, but of course, if if you feel really sick, then please come back to the hospital uh, or call emergency. And it's, you know, for me, I did get a little fever. I did get muscle pains. I, I hugged my uh, massage gun for like an hour and a half, you know. Uh, but
1: after that, uh, I was pretty much fine. So, so I mean, Donovan, do you have any plans to get the AstraZeneca shot?
0: Uh, not in the immediate short term. Uh, I've noticed only about 3,000 some odd people are getting the shot uh, daily right now. They're they're not actually it's really good, and that that set a record. Uh, so right now it doesn't appear that it's it's uh, you know it's it's that widely
2: available.
1: And Sean, of course, do you think you heard about the Moderna shot the day you got your shot, apparently?
2: Oh, well, the day after. So I (laughs) I went drats. If, if, okay I could get the Moderna. Well, I I also have a lot of doctor friends in Taiwan, and there were some surveys, too. A lot of... There isn't vaccine hesitancy so much as that we have the luxury of choosing here in Taiwan, as in time-wise. There isn't much of a rush, you know. Uh, Even though there's been recently uh, a local outbreak with a very controlled area... There, There isn't really a rush. So people feel like they can wait for Moderna. Personally, uh, Moderna would have been my choice as well, just like many doctors in Taiwan have said. That said, uh, I do feel that being vaccinated is very important because not only to protect myself, but my friends and family and society in general. So I went ahead and did it. Um, indeed, there are not huge lines at all. I was expecting to see huge lines. Not really, just lots of people waiting, very normal, uh, but you know, nothing too bad.
1: And of course, Donovan, they're now opening this up from next Monday to the military and over 65s. I mean, do you see a rush of over 65s heading to hospitals in John to get the jab?
0: No, I, I, I don't. I, I Frankly, I, I don't feel like there's mer- There's not much panic here in Taichung and there's not uh, the over 65s are not a major travel group. So I, I really don't see that as being a big issue. I think some of them will, uh, but I, I don't see here in Taijiang as being, uh, I, don't, I don't see the hospitals being overwhelmed.
1: And of course, nationally, if we look at this situation, Sean, other countries have made sure that the over 65s were the first people.
2: Yeah, I I you know if if it, if there was a lot of local uh uh outbreak and you know people are then yes I think there would be much more of a priority. Uh Taiwan initially started by saying okay we're going to have frontline workers, uh frontline doctors, but you know given that the cases the case numbers in Taiwan are so low there's just not much of a rush. There's no panic. Uh people are like we can wait and see well into the summer or maybe later as as the way things go now there was more signups after there was that recent uh airport novotel infection because uh, prior to that uh the, you know anyone could have easily registered but yeah so some of the hospitals did say that oh we're fully booked out uh, but it's not to a situation where people are waiting outside begging to get a shot or anything like that nope there's just no rush
1: Anyway, moving away from the coronavirus and the WHA, a Chinese chap was detained in Taichung earlier this week, or rather late last week, and he made global news for it, because the man is claiming to have sailed 177 kilometres across the Taiwan Strait from Fujian's Shishu County to Taichung Harbour in a rubber dinghy, fitted with an outboard motor and carrying 90 litres of fuel. Now, police in Taichung say they received a report last Friday concerning, and I quote from local media here, a rather strange man in a dike at the harbour. Now he was detained by Coast Guard officials and police soon announced that the man set out for Taiwan that morning because he told them that he was seeking freedom and democracy. And anyway the incident happened but of course it led to international news and headlines such as this one "Were Taiwan's defences punctured by a mainland Chinese man in rubber dinghy as screamed the South China Morning Post and that story resulted in one reader or bot or simply Beijing mouthpiece writing in the comments section, it proves one important point, that on a calm morning soon, our Taiwan comrades will wake up to be received by the PLA from Taipei to Kaohsiung without a single bullet being fired. A point, however, biased towards a draconian government that has not been missed by government officials, media pundits and military officials here. Now, Navy Chief of Staff Vice Admiral Zhang Chengguo told lawmakers that he doesn't quite believe the man's story due to fuel limitations and he went on to say that the man and his rubber dinghy may have travelled undetected for most of the voyage because they wouldn't have been picked up by the Navy's land-based or vessel-mounted radar systems. However, he went on to stress that as the man moved closer to Taiwan, Coast Guard radar systems could have easily picked up the small boat, while Defence Minister Cho Guo-chung has admitted that shortcomings in maritime patrols might have been highlighted. And of course, the guy also said that he had a mobile phone, and that's how he was plotting his course shown. I'm not sure whether my mobile carrier would work in the middle of the Taiwan Strait, but you did a bit of research into the vessel or the dinghy he was using and the outboard motor.
2: Yeah, well, he did indeed buy... Well, well, first of all, I just wanted to say I really want to see his photos. He did say he took some photos with his phone as well uh, during his trip over. I wonder what he saw. Uh, That said, yeah, actually, we did a little bit of research, and this dinghy is indeed purchasable on Taobao. I'm actually looking at the page right now, and uh, the company's called called Horace, or uh, Horace is the company where he got his rubber dinghy. There's even videos of um, this company taking rocks and other sharp objects to prove how durable this dinghy is. And he had brought the cheapest 2.3 uh, um, 2.3 meter version uh, and we even know the outboard motor he uses. approximately a Suzuki 15 horsepower motor that the same site sells and uh, did some math. You know, first of all the price of it is not a lot. It's 48,000 Hawan dollars. I've even... The way that dinghy looks, though you know it looks to be a pretty decent quality you know uh, and then the the math is if you traveled approximately ten knots, uh, he had four barrels of gasoline. Uh, I know reports vary, but the three barrel the four barrels three of them hold up to thirty five liters one barrel one of the barrels holds up to twenty five liters then it 's a fifteen horsepower motor it uses about four point five to five liters per hour sorry i 'm boring people with math. But yeah, if if his travel time claimed of about 10 hours is probably right. He would have had enough fuel. That said, he's really, really, really lucky because, you know, if if you look at defense experts like Ian Easton uh, from Project 2049, they say there's only about two times in a year, roughly, where it's fairly reasonable to come from China to Taiwan. And... Yeah, this is about the time. Maybe a little bit late, but he was really lucky because all sorts of disasters could have happened. The Taiwan Strait is not exactly friendly, especially for such a small boat.
1: So, it's also full of big boats. It's also full of big, a lot boats. Of big
2: boats. And And if you really did sail next to them, he could have easily been washed under. There's a lot of things that, that could have went wrong. Now, if, in terms of GPS, actually, that's relatively easy with the water currents. So if he was going eastwards and he might have been pushed down into zone. maybe he was aiming for Taipei and then missed it and went to Taizong instead around the zone port. But yeah, it, it does work. So I guess... Oh, one more thing. Um, Last year, two years ago in 2019, uh, a group of uh, enthusiasts rode Suzuki, uh, I think Suzuki or other Seedew type things to go all the way to Jinmen. And they were able to do it in about 12 hours. So, you know, depending on the weather and if it's bright with careful planning, it's possible. So, Donovan, do you believe this chap's story?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, now, as uh, to what Sean was just saying—that uh, he was uh, targeting Taipei and ended up in Taichung—obviously, uh, uh, you know, you'd, you, you, if you were going to set off from China, you really wouldn't want to go to Taipei. You would want to go to Taichung because, of course, we got Fengjian Night Market here. It, it's just a much better place. <laughs> but what I don't quite understand is—is is this guy n- planned for the amount of fuel, apparently, but not? food or water. You, you would think that you'd prepare some more food or, or some water for a trip that's going to take t- or 10 hours or more. I mean, the, the, the minimum estimates I've seen uh, from all reports are at least 10 hours. Uh, I've seen reports going up to 16 or 18 hours, uh, and I've also seen a lot of reporting which suggests that he probably came over at least part of the way uh, on a fishing boat and then Transferred from that, so uh, it's something. Either the guy is not entirely right in the head, which is entirely possible, um, or it's uh, something's just something's just not adding up. You, you would have the fuel, but you'd assume that they would include that somebody planning this, going through all this effort, would prepare a little bit more water and food. And when he showed up in Taijiang, he had had no food. And there's no reports of water, so when, once he arrived, the first thing that when the, the guys that found him uh, down in Taijung Port is they went and got him food and then reported him. Uh, they Actually, technically what happened is they reported to their boss, their boss then reported to the, uh, to the port police so uh, he, uh, it just seems like something just doesn't add up about this so uh, i do i do honestly think that, that you know, there's there's definitely a lot to the theory that the guy's just not mentally right in the head uh or if the guy's mentally right in the head uh where's the food where was the water i, I where you know why would you cross the the straits during this time of year even though it is a good time of year at any time of year, trying to cross in the dinghy is going to be extraordinarily dangerous. So there is a lot of uh, speculation around transfer from a fishing boat to uh, to something much closer to Taiwan and then doing the remainder on that dinghy.
1: And of course, Sean, why did no one see him? Because, I mean, if you're on a big <laughs> ship in the middle of the Taiwan Strait and you see a guy in a dinghy... You might want to contact him somehow and say, are you okay?" And maybe call it in to a Coast Guard administration on one or two sides of the Taiwan Strait or the other or both. Uh,
2: Well, I I talked to some... First of all, he had to, you know, he had to pass through the Chinese Coast Guard. Uh, uh, And and recently we've heard about stories where Hong Kongers trying to flee Hong Kong have been easily captured. So is it because half the Coast Guard in China is now in Hong Kong or, or what? Like there, there's a lot of speculation and he traveled during the daytime, so he was visible. Um, <laughs> and then he had to beat the Taiwan Coast Guard uh, to make it to Taiwan. So I agree with Donovan that there is mechanically it is possible for him to make it, but there is definitely some things missing. Uh, maybe he's not right in the hand. That's possibly true because uh, uh, Gavin mentioned how there was a Chinese poster who kind of drank their own cool. And to be honest, there is a lot of Chinese nationals that do seem to have very propaganded uh, or painted views of how easy it is to get to Taiwan, how easy Taiwan is to invade, you know, without even a shot being made, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is just one guy. He may have been lucky because his craft was only 2.5 2.3 meters and. A lot of uh, uh, detection systems are designed to sort of filter out smaller boats because you can find easily debris in the ocean bigger than that. That said, uh, therefore, there's been people saying that maybe that represents a loophole. I guess lots we'll, of questions. We'll just
1: have to wait and see, Sean, on that one. Yep. Anyway, Economics Minister Wang Meihua on Thursday of this week announced that water shortage alerts imposed by cities and counties remain in place despite this week's weather front that brought, well, rain to some parts of the island. And while we've talked about the ongoing water shortage in parts of the island in recent weeks, as we have Donovan on today's show, I thought I'd take the opportunity to give our listeners the chance to hear firsthand about the situation. So, of course, you're in Taijong, Donovan, and like parts of me, Maoli and Zhenghua, you're only getting water supplied for five days a week and I believe that's been going on now for the past month.
0: Yes uh, and in practice sometimes it's worse than that. Um, in my particular area and my particular building, this uh, the, this particular building complex, uh, what happens is, is that it, it, depending on where you are in, in this area from Maoli to northern Zhenghua, either your water's cut from on Tuesday and Wednesday or on Thursday and Friday. In practice, what's happened in my neighborhood is that the water was cut on Tuesday and Wednesday, but the water tower generally hold out for most of Tuesday, then run out on Wednesday, and then the water wouldn't actually come back on on Thursday. So in practice, for the last few weeks, uh, i've been out of water here on Wednesday and Thursday, and now this is actually kind of awkward because you have to plan your entire life around this you can't do house cleaning you can't do laundry you can't do you can't water the plants uh you can't do large scale washing of your dishes uh, on and so you have to plan all these things around that. And because you can't take a shower, for example, I do everything I can to make sure that I, I don't have meetings on Wednesday and Thursday if I can possibly avoid it because it's really quite unpleasant to go to meetings when you haven't had a shower. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can sort of you know mop yourself down, but that's about as as good as it's gonna get. So you fill up, a, you know, in my case, I've been filling up buckets, uh, <clears throat> Large pots. I have a dedicated water thing that I went out and bought specifically for this, and uh, my mop bucket thing that's also full. Uh, and some advice: um, if you're, you know, if you're stuck in this situation, you definitely want to look into your, you know, take off the lid on your toilet, see what level the water is at when it's full. So that you know how to fill your toilet uh, when you know you get to, when it gets to the point where you absolutely have to flush it. Um, so yeah, it, it's right now it's a, a whole series of little steps that you have to take to keep your life balanced and organized. And it, it you actually find yourself structuring your whole week around the water supply.
1: What a, what a I mean?
0: Everything from your meetings to your To uh, what you can do, what you can clean, what you can uh, prepare for, and you have to structure everything around that. So basically, your entire week it it becomes kind of warped around the gravitational pull of that lack of water on those few days. Now, my building, uh, my building complex, seems to have figured out a clever trick, and I think this is a combination of um individuals within the building complex getting better at conserving water but the the building complex also came up with something kind of clever because the water's cut off on tuesday the water tower would run out sort of late tuesday early wednesday this last week we actually had water through wednesday and the water actually was still flowing on thursday which it wasn't for the last few weeks it was basically there'd be a few drips of water would come out and then it would dry up the hack i think that they figured out in our building was that everyone was because the water was going to be cut on tuesday everyone on on monday morning on monday evening was filling up their buckets and water receptacles of various types so what they did is they asked everybody in the in the building complex to fill up their their receptacles on sunday rather than monday And I believe what's happened is that allowed the water towers, uh, you know, on the different building blocks in this complex to refill on uh, Monday evening to be a total full capacity going into the two day cutoff. And for the first time in weeks, we actually had the water was got a little bit weak on Wednesday and Thursday, but we still had water and it was enough to actually take a shower which was really refreshing after weeks of no showers.
1: So there you go, aren't we lucky, Sean? We don't live in Taichung. Uh Yeah, we're
2: really lucky. <laughs> hey,
0: but we are have you go- freedom and democracy here. But- and if you're going to take a rubber dinghy, you're going to come here.
2: <laughs> are they actually using less water as a result out of all of this?
0: Apparently, uh, it's reducing uh, usage by about 15%.
1: Well, my question is, though, there was talk of putting in the water trucks would come in. Big water tankers would stop in some areas of the city. Is this have been happening?
0: Well, yeah. There's uh, there's two aspects of that. There are uh, there's water there's designated water dispensation uh, outlets, um, and then uh, and those are, are put on by the water company. And then uh, TSMC and other chip makers have been trucking in water for for their use as well. So they're, they they're more famous for the trucks. Whereas uh, the water dispensation zones, because in, in some cases, if you're if you're not very well off, you don't have a water tower in your building, or if you're operating out of a, uh, for example, if you you know you're at a, uh, a you know a market, you don't have uh, a water tower, you don't have access to this, so you have to go to these water designation, these designated water dispensation zones, and then you fill up your own containers. And then you bring them to, for example, your market stall or wherever you are uh, and use that. So most buildings have water towers, but not everybody does. So if you're generally at the low end of the economic uh, uh, the, the totem pole, or for example, in my case, if you lived in, in a building complex that's near the end of the water line and too many people were depleting the towers, then you're out of luck. Now there's other areas of the city. Now I mentioned in my case they cut the water on on Tuesday and Wednesday, but because of water depletion, I think that we're near the end of a, a water line. There's a lot of areas in the city where the Tuesday Wednesday people were not getting water supplies on Thursday, uh, and I live in one of these areas. Other areas, and now when I try and go to the office, for example my office is in a Thursday, Friday water cutoff zone. So that means I have to also plan for watering the plants and doing things at at the office around that as well. So there's a lot of people who also have this double double, uh, problem where you live in one area and you work in others. For example, there's uh, big chunks of the industrial park uh, fall and the science park fall into the Thursday, Friday cutoff. And so what they're doing is they've essentially shifted the weekend to Thursday and Friday for a lot of the workers. And they're working during the weekend instead of Thursday and Friday.
1: Anyway, all we can do, Sean and Donovan, we can can hope it rains this year. We can hope we get big typhoons. I think we should do that for Donovan's sake. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Donovan is a bloke who lives on his own. So, of course, can you imagine this for a family of four? Oh yeah, that's definitely yeah. Nightmare. That's that's not nice. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. <laughs> Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and it was World Press Freedom Day this Monday, May the 3rd and Reporters Without Borders hosted its second Taiwan Media Forum to discuss the strengths and weaknesses of Taiwan's media environment and ways to combat disinformation. And I spoke with Reporters Without Borders, East Asia Bureau Chief Cedric Aliviani about the conclusions that the panel drew regarding those issues. Good evening, Cedric.
3: Hey, good evening, Gavin.
1: So, your event on Monday, in sort of marking World Press Freedom Day, was held at the Legislative UN, and you had a panel of experts talking about Taiwan's media environment and its challenges. So, what did the panel say? What were Taiwan... What are, rather? What are Taiwan's media challenges? Well, Taiwan is a free place
3: for the media. Any media can publish any information they have, and there is very few uh, direct interferences from the government or uh, from the political parties but however press freedom in Taiwan is not complete there is a very strong influence of uh, politics on the media's editorial lines it's very difficult for journalists to actually be able and publish information only based on the public's interest and very often they are forced to take in consideration the media outlets own interests um there is also a sensationalistic bidding in taiwan that imparts the media from uh, becoming a trustable source of information for the readers and as a matter of fact uh, taiwan is one of the democracies in the world that has the lowest rate of trust in the media this is identified by the authorities as a national defense threat And indeed, in case the Chinese regime or any other enemy of Taiwanese democracy was trying to launch a massive-scale fake news campaign, it would be very difficult for the Taiwanese um, public to know which media to turn to. Um, In an ideal world, the public television service should be that uh, media for the Taiwanese public to uh, turn to in case of problem. But it is underfunded, the uh, level of funding of public television, uh, the the level of funding of public television service does not allow it to uh, uh, really exist uh, in the competition in the face of all the commercial channels. And uh, despite the very high quality of some of their programs, it's very difficult for them to uh, be an alternative for the Taiwanese public.
1: What about monitoring the media? I mean, who is monitoring the media and who is fact-checking the media here?
3: Well, Taiwan has some uh, very active NGOs monitoring the media, like, uh, like, um, like Taiwan Media Watch uh, or uh, some, some organizations providing fact-checking services. The problem is that this fact-checking should be done by the media themselves prior to publishing. It's not enough to rely on third-party organizations that would do fact-checking after the problem occurs. The only way for the Taiwanese democracy to protect itself against fake news is to have journalists that are fully uh, able to fact-check their stories, that are able to provide uh, content that are relevant for the public, and not only relevant to serve the interests of the media outlet companies. That's why Reporters Without Borders organized this meeting uh, that uh, gathered all stakeholders, whether it is um, legislators, um, representatives of media organizations, uh, representatives of the government, representatives of the Taiwanese civil society, we wanted to discuss and uh, try and go in deeper uh, to the roots of the problem so that in the future we could suggest um, improvements to the government.
1: You also brought up the issue of like liable cases, where in certain countries the author of the article is liable, but in other countries the publisher and the author are held liable.
3: This is a very important question because a journalist might... Voluntarily or involuntarily uh, harm someone uh, whenever writing non-verified information. So, of course, it's very important that when a journalist signs a story, uh, they are accountable for for what they do. But on the other hand, the libel laws uh, everywhere in the world are massively being used by uh, governments and also sometimes by private companies as a way to intimidate the media and sometimes to shut down the media due to the very uh, harsh uh, financial punishments applied uh, with these uh, regulations so it's important that the regulation would be balanced and protect the public as well as uh, the media
1: and how, what is what would what did the panel suggest that taiwan should do with this situation well, basically, the the, the
3: problem, the, the, the current problem is that Taiwan does not have a regulation protective enough of uh, editor independence. Currently, in uh, Taiwan's media outlets, the boardroom is deciding what the newsroom uh, should write on or not write on, and this is not acceptable. Another solution uh, would be to boost the uh, funding of the public television service, Not, of course, um, to turn it into a a state media, uh, but to turn it into a reference media the public could turn to in case of a problem or in case of a fake news attack. And this would request uh, the government to also give more guarantees of independence to this media because no one, of course, wants these media to uh, obey the government's orders. We want the media, including the public media, to be independent media.
1: But, of course, this being Taiwan, that would be rather difficult because, of course, whatever, whatever party was in power would be accused by the opposition of simply meddling in the state media.
3: Taiwan was able to turn into a successful democracy in only three decades. Taipei City was able to solve a super long uh, and complicated uh, problem of garbage. Uh, there's nothing impossible for the Taiwanese. And the point is to have a political will. Of course, we're calling um, on President Tsai, we're calling on legislators to have this political courage and to work together, uh, for the parties to work together, because this is truly a matter of uh, security for Taiwan, Taiwan has to have an efficient protection against uh, disinformation, and this protection goes, necessarily goes through journalists.
1: And do you see a short-term fix for this, or do you think it's a long-term problem? It's going to take many years to sort out.
3: It really depends on the uh, political will of the government and political parties. Of course, um, every democracy is confronted to disinformation, and somehow every democracy is encountering the same problem as Taiwan. The difference is that not every democracy lives under the current threat uh, Taiwan is uh, being confronted to. So this should be an incentive for the Taiwanese government and for the Taiwanese political parties and other stakeholders to uh, unite and react fast.
1: That was me in conversation with Reporters Without Borders East Asia Bureau head Cedric Alviani and respect for law enforcement has been a hot topic over the past couple of weeks here and it all stems from an incident in April when a group of young men stormed into the Sungshan Precinct's Zhonglun Police Station while chasing an official through the well said station Interior Minister Xu Guoyong and National Police Agency Director General Chen Jiaqin vowed a thorough investigation of the incident in its immediate aftermath however the immediate aftermath wasn't quite as immediate as was initially believed as it came to light that police had allegedly covered up certain parts of it as surveillance footage from the station was apparently, well, it apparently had been expunged by the station's former director. All of which needless to say drew both public and political ire. Now this week an alleged dis- debt dispute between a restaurant owner and a well-known criminal organisation resulted in a cockroach attack at an eatery that was, well, hosting a-, a big banquet for police officers. That also led to questions as the event was being attended by Taipei Police 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 Commissioner Chen Jia Cheng and new Taipei Police Chief Huang Zong Ren. Now, police have been quick to stress that the suspects of the cockroach attack were known members of the Bamboo Union, and there was no evidence to suggest that it was targeting police officers. But as to whether the timing of the said cockroach attack was intentional, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see there. And on Thursday, the Taipei Police Commissioner talked about getting tough on crime, and he told reporters that law enforcement agencies in the capital are. Stepping up operations, targeting organised criminal gangs. So, Donovan, of course, you're not in Taipei, but you've been reading about this. Do you think this this shows a a, a disrespect for law enforcement authorities, and as some newspapers have been claiming, a breakdown of law and order generally?
0: (laughs) Well, I I mean, I think each of these cases is quite different. Um, In the first one, it was a physical trainer who apparently got into an altercation. Uh, drunken altercation with uh, the with this group of guys and he went back to the police station uh, ran back into the police station to kind of either get away from them or take a rest depending on on, on which account you read and then the these guys who yeah, they uh, of course the press always refers to them as you know black shirted guys uh, whether they actually had black shirts or not they followed him in and then they smashed up a computer. And now then allegedly, then apparently, then, you know, they, they, they smashed up some things and the police finally, you know, shooed them off. Now, then the police, and this is where it gets weird. They removed the uh, footage of what happened from the hard drives Um and they later recovered that, but initially they they said um, that oh they lost it or you know they accidentally removed it, and then they came out and said oh we we actually removed the the footage because we're afraid of uh, losing face of you know it, it, and, and so it, it's all very very weird. So the real question in the first case is whether or not they're responding to, uh, is were they responding to pressure from gangsters or were they simply just trying to save face because they looked like idiots having gangsters go into a police station, smash things up, you know, and with impunity? Or, you know, were these gangsters powerful enough and were the cops afraid of them enough to actually delete footage and just simply, you know, down to them, and that we don't really know, and that's what they're trying to figure out. In the second case, it appears this was a debt collection case against the uh, owner of the banquet hall, and uh, you know, it, now whether or not these, uh, you know, these thugs that came in and threw in the cockroaches knew that the banquet happened to be hosting police or not is again that's the big open question. So the, the the big open questions that that are in both of these cases are: Are gangsters acting with impunity against the police, or, or is this just a, two random incidents of complete idiocy where police kind of were dropping the ball and or gangsters? Uh, really didn't realize what they were doing because in the first case they were either really very drunk or in the second case they were targeting the banquet hall and didn't realize that the police were there. I think this, these two incidents are not enough to draw too much conclusion from. Um, but a re- there's a, there is a lot of speculation that the police should engage in, self, in, in self-speculation Should you know? Why is it that these, in both cases, the gangsters managed to do these things, and the police were not able to stop them? Um, But when you you asked the question, you framed it about respect for the police. I really kind of wonder here whether the question is more whether the police seem to respect themselves because they in both cases (laughs) the police themselves responded really badly. They were really quite incompetent. took quite a while for them to actually respond in both cases, although eventually they did track down and arrest uh, all the people involved in both cases. It really took them quite a long time, and there was a lot of bumbling and confusion and cover-up in the meantime in both cases.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, in the first case, uh, even though it's from the Four C's gang that was involved, uh, they did were able to shake hands, which made it unbelievable to me with the police. And they said, oh, well, well sorry. And one of the officers who was around the front desk said, oh, he, he just didn't see them knock over the computer. So he just assumed.
0: <laughs> he rather, rather viciously slammed it. I mean, you, you would have if you didn't see it. You, you had to have heard it.
2: Yeah, and and it's count like these that really, really decrease um, faith that the police are able to deal with it. I mean, it's kind of like in Japan where nobody really believes the the police are really able to put a lid down on the Yamagumiguchi, and there's just widely believed that you know uh, the triads there have a, a sort of secret handshake with the police where they know to keep their operations below uh, media attention so the police don't really have to react as well. And now, you know, police are saying, well, we're going to crack down. But it it just feels kind of like showboating. The whole cockroach thing was, as stated before, by the United Bamboo Gang, suspectedly. But again, I mean... This whole entire thing it really does remove any faith in that, you know, that the status quo will any, will change meaningfully. Um, there's been a spate of these in the past where sometimes protesters would get attacked by, uh, you know, people wearing black uh, politically as well. And there's almost zero tangible repercussions. So it is a reminder, I think, of, you know, the reality that uh, organized uh, organized gang groups in Taiwan can still subsist in
1: much the way they do in Japan. But apparently, according to the Taipei Police Commissioner on Thursday, raids have been taking out recently and people have been arrested. Well, that's why I said the word tangible. (laughs) 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 Anyway, before we go this week, the Ministry of Culture on Wednesday announced that it selected the Central News Agency to operate the government's planned English language video programming portal. The government has been touting the portal since last summer when it announced that public television service will establish it to offer video program in English aimed at introducing Taiwan to the world. Then the government had hoped the video platform would be created by January of this year. However, that move fell flat after the choice of PTS led to controversy. Amid reports, the DPP was simply attempting to use the independent public broadcaster as a propaganda machine for its own political goals. So now Taiwan's state-owned news agency is set to bring the island to the world beginning August under the name Taiwan Plus. Now the the Culture Ministry says that CNA's proposal met all of the project's basic requirements, including a specialised staff, organisation and production facilities and a transparent financial structure. For its part, the news agency is stressing that the platform will be run independently from its news departments and will respect the professional autonomy of its staff. So, Sean, the Taiwan Plus government video programming portal in English to bring Taiwan to the world, they're going to throw a lot of money into it. But what can we expect, do you think?
2: Uh, I don't want to give bad judgments so quickly, but uh, Taiwan isn't really known for initiatives like these being extremely successful. Uh, Just have a... Let's put it this way. Um, President Tsai is you know, using hashtags for tweets have been had a much wider audience. Um, you know, YouTubers, you know, can easily come in with audiences where they can easily get 100,000 or even a million views per video. Meanwhile, you know, if we were looking at Competitors, for instance, Formosa TV, FTV's English program, each average video gets less than, easily less than 150 views. So I, I don't actually think Taiwan Plus is going to get much more. Uh, yes, they may check all the boxes, for instance, uh, like, you know, the Tourism Bureau in Taiwan infamously does too. They might have their own studio. They might have, you know, some host that speaks English or they'll get a native speaker, but none of that's really com- going to compel people to watch it. Uh, we could look at the china model they have cgtn you know and they the chinese government uh dumps huge amounts of money into cgtn and one can really question its effectiveness you know every time it's posted anywhere there's always like a disclaimer that says that hey this is state-sponsored media so i really think this approach is a wait and see i do think a better better i really do hope that they do well but i'm a little skeptical i do think they should review the the Practicality and the effectiveness of this at regular intervals, at least once a year, and determine if this is the road we should follow. I do think they should be given a chance. I just don't know if it's going to succeed. Donovan,
0: well, I mean, a lot of this is already being done over at RTI at uh, Radio Taiwan International. Um, is so, I'm a little bit puzzled why they're why they're doing this again. And actually, some of the RTI programming is is, is quite good. Um, no, I'm, I'm 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 completely baffled at why they uh, said that PTS was going to be uh, uh, was going to be a propaganda for uh, President Tsai. When if you actually look at whoever's running the English side of the uh, P, uh, of the PTS website, it actually comes across as very deep blue, actually. Um, I honestly I don't think anyone's paying any attention to what uh, what's being posted on the PTS uh, English side of their website is at, at this point but it's definitely not friendly to the DPP um, Now as for the CNA itself the CNA is is spectacularly boring it's Uh, Compared to most of the news outlets, and when I'm preparing the Central Taiwan news reports, because there's not really much English source material that I can uh, work off of, if I get a report coming out of CNA, I generally assume that it's actually the most reliable of all the different news sources in Taiwan but it's also going to be the most boring, it's going to be the most staid, it's going to be the most conservative. They're really not gonna take any risks on what they're reporting for the most part compared to other news sources. Um, so uh, my biggest concern here is is that being a very conservative, staid culture coming out of the CNA is that whatever the material that they produce is going to be so constrained and so concerned about appearing in political in any any way or taking any risk because it is government funded that it will be so neutered that it will be basically extraordinarily dull and that it won't get very much uh, attraction uh, with international viewers because simply it's it's essentially like white bread it's it's there's there's really nothing interesting at all about it
1: and sure how do you think they're going to promote this because of course they got the youtube there's lots of youtubers in taiwan lots of foreigners do the youtube in taiwan and release the youtube videos but of course i would have thought lots of those youtube videos are about taiwan but possibly they're watched by people in taiwan that's a possibility
2: <laughs> uh, yeah there's a possibility that it will be but again we're talking about possible you know, and they they they're, they're, they're going to have much more competitors. Uh, there's you know, all, virtually all of the news channels in Taiwan already have uh, uh, you know YouTube channels uh, uh, in Chinese, so that's going to be you know consumed more. And then if you want to have English, you're already looking at a very niche, long tail sort of uh, uh, market. Then you want to reach out to those who may be international. And as Donovan said, I'm willing to bet this, I'll bet here, that this is going to be really, really dry. So where are they going to get their audience? Meanwhile, in in terms of CP value or CP, the Taiwanese people love to talk about uh, uh, cost price or cost performance ratio. I think YouTube's going to be more effective. They they will have they will be able to be more than just white bread. They'll be able to give it flair, and they'll be able to do it in a far less amount of money. They don't necessarily need studios because they already have them. Uh, you know, even getting a collaborative you you know amount of YouTubers to build a studio and do something new using new energy will will show something better. But the CNA is a very staid, gray. You know, uh, I I I imagine brutalist uh, a concrete. Sort of, you know, (laughs) boring infrastructure. It's not gonna. There's no appeal, and that's one of the biggest problems. uh, Which is why I said they deserve a chance. Hopefully, I'm wrong. I wish to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Donovan is correct. It's gonna be. It's not gonna get anywhere.
1: So, Donovan, do you think possibly the government should have looked at YouTubers that already have an audience to do this?
2: Well, I mean, here's the thing: is when when you're the government and
0: you start throwing money at this kind of thing, it's particularly with, Taiwan's very sensitive about international image issues. So, uh, you know, if they were to throw money at YouTubers, that might work if we're talking about, say, a tourism kind of topics, um, social topics, not hard news. Because as soon as you walk into the hard news topic, then you're walking into politics. So they... You know, they're not going to be able to take. To, if you start throwing money at YouTubers or podcasters, uh, you know, people like me who talk about politics or news, uh, you know, on YouTube, then they're going to be taking a massive risk because then they have tied themselves, the government has tied themselves and the budgets and the oversight, all of this to people with opinions who are not easily controllable if they throw it to cna cna has a long-standing culture of keeping political opinions internal you know they've got internal controls on keeping political opinions down and that sort of thing so yeah if you're you know if it's it's a you know yay look at sun moon like video then you really you could you could easily go with a youtuber if you want to talk about for example uh, you know, recent problems with uh, within the DPP over that guy who is tied in with gangsters, that's got to be handled with a lot of sensitivity because, um, you know, the, that's a political issue between the KMT and the DPP, and they're both pounding away at it politically for political gain. So whoever's going to cover that, the, you can't go to a, a random YouTuber you know, they just simply, the government agencies can't take the risk. So what they're going to do is they, you know, they've gone to the CNA because the CNA will basically give you the driest possible description of what happened.
1: And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Sean Su. Thank you for having me. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And great to be back. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows.
0: Tune in again next
1: Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, ICRT Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.